In your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. Beginning with verse 1. We're beginning a series. I'm not sure if it'll go two or three Sundays, but I'm going to be dealing with fear. Fear of tragedy, fear of opportunity, a fear of the unknown. And we're going to take a biblical look at why we fear and why we shouldn't fear. And this morning's illustration is perfect to start with because it takes one of the most bold characters in the Word of God, Elijah, and shows us his moment of fear and how he reacted. 1 Kings 19 verse 1, if you there say amen. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd slain all the prophets of Baal by sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods, small g by the way, do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, mark that in your Bible, when he saw that threat, when he saw her capacity to fulfill it, he was afraid and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel came and touched him. Isn't it just like God to send you just what you need right when you need it? And he said unto him, the angel said unto him, on behalf of God, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him. Please just bear with me as I just want to give God thanks. Thank you, Lord, for the times you touched me the second time. When I struggled and got back to my feet and you said, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to touch you again. And he said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Jezebel's not too great for you, but this journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that meat, that meal that God gave him for 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. And he came into a cave and he lodged there. Have you ever been so afraid you lived in a cave? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for you. The Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains and broke the piece, the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and stood in the entering of the cave. And there came a voice unto him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and slain your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, go return to your way to the wilderness. 
of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu shall you anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha shall you anoint to be prophet in your place. And it came to pass that he, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I've left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth that hath not kissed him. You can't find anyone in the Old Testament more bold than Elijah. The king had sent out a decree and hired thousands of soldiers just to find him and just to kill him. Elijah would stand in the presence of the king that had the power to kill him. And he said, I'm not the problem with Israel. You're the problem. Bold, brazen. Elijah the Tishbite. No real history, no real knowledge. We just know that there was enough God encounter in his life that he answered the call to be God's prophet and he was bold, confident, fearless. Fearless and then afraid. Standing in front of the king, and then running from the king's wife. Have you ever been weak in a place where you were strong? Have you ever failed in a place of your greatest victories? All of us experience fear, but God's command is clear in the word of God, fear not. So we have a problem. If there's all these occasions to fear, 365 times in the Bible is the phrase, fear not. One for each day of the year, I've heard it written. Why would God include so many times, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid, fear not. Because there's so much to fear when you're out of balance. When you're off the foundation, there's so much to fear. When your vision gets cloudy, and even the best of us can be afraid. The Bible tells us in Paul's epistles, he said, and in nothing terrified. Don't be terrified in anything because your confidence is an evident token to Satan and the demons in hell of their impending doom. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries because it's an evident token to them of, your, of their perdition. Your confidence is proof positive that God is and that God is who he said he is, and that hell's fury is nothing but a false threat. Because in the end, Satan cannot do what God has not planned, and Satan cannot do what God has not allowed. And you're going to experience things that are fearful. So God's telling you it's coming and he's telling you how to react. Now let me just digress and give you this part as a preface to this series. We're going to deal with worry later. Worry is the interest you pay on something before it happens. I'm not even going to ask you how many of y'all are worriers. Worry is based on nothing. But fear is based on facts. She threatened to kill him. And in 1 Kings, I believe it was chapter 16, it says she'd already slew the prophets of the Lord. So she was surely capable of fulfilling her threat. And some of you today are under threat 
physically, maritally, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and financially. And you're not worried about something. You're, wor- you're worried about an actual fact, a legitimate threat. And I have a word for you this morning. Don't be afraid. Because the Lord God in the midst of you is mighty. Glory to God. Let's pray together. Glory to God. Father God, I just humble myself before you this morning and I pray for the ability, the capacity to preach your word with such clarity and such simplicity that it would go down into the deepest fabric of our soul and bring change, a change of attitude, a change of mind, a change of speech, a change of action that fear would dissipate and leave our life. Not the situation. Even if the situation doesn't change, change us, oh God. Cause your word to come alive in our heart. You said with righteous people, they're as bold as a lion. Let boldness be a part of our expression. We know, oh Lord, that being a Christian does not exempt us from these things that bring fear. We're not asking you to take, the, take us out of the world. We're asking you to take the world out of us. Cause us to come alive, oh Lord, and be evidence, proof positive that not only do you exist, but that you live in us. And I thank you in advance for the fruit that's going to come from this word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, number one, I alluded to it in my introduction. Elijah was afraid because he was threatened. She sent a message unto Elijah, so let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life like the prophets you had just slain. Elijah was just on Mount Carmel. He called fire down out of heaven. God consumed the sacrifice, the altar, the rocks, the water, and he killed all. Elijah had the Israelites kill all the Baalite prophets. And this woman said, by tomorrow morning, I'm going to have the same thing happen to you. This threat was serious because of the one who gave it could bring it to pass. This threat was serious because it was specific and it came with a time deadline. Have you ever had something come in your life that made you fear because there was a time, it was time sensitive. She said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be a dead man. We who experience the mighty hand of God are often surprised when we see the hand of the enemy so close to the first occurrence. We feel that when God elevates us, we are now out of reach from our enemies and those who hate us. Elijah had unrealistic and unrealized expectations. He thought that fire falling from heaven would cause a nationwide revival and there'd be repentance by the king and the queen Jezebel. And in fact, it didn't turn out like he had planned at all. What she desired, let me give it to you this way. If Jezebel wanted to kill him, she would have seized him without warning at the showdown. There's, seven, there's 850 Baalite prophets. There's the backslidden nation of Israel and one man, no associate pastor, no team, no support staff, no intercessors, one man standing in front of this nation. What boldness. And 850 men jumping around, cutting themselves with knives, squirting blood on each other, calling on a God that's deaf, that does not exist. This boldness, if she wanted to kill him, she would have just killed him. Or she would have tried to kill him. She thought that her gods were going to come through. But her gods did not exist. And he had secret knowledge that she didn't have. And you have knowledge. You have the awareness that your God liveth. 
And I think if she wanted to kill him, she'd have told one of the prophets, you know, after they went all day cutting themselves and no fire fell, I think I'd have sent word, just cut him, cut him now, kill him, kill him before his God has a chance to answer. You know what she was really after? When she realized, or maybe she didn't even think about killing him, we don't know. But that threat was her last chance to discredit him because God came through for him. And if we can get him to run, watch. What does that say to all the Israelites that just saw the fire of God fall in front of them? Well, maybe he's not God. Maybe he's not real. Listen to me. The devil's not after your life. He's after your influence. He ain't trying to kill you. He can be after that. But more important than killing me is my influence. If he kills me, then I'm quiet. But if he lets me live fearful, then I preach his gospel the rest of my life. God is my refuge and God is my strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. I believe she was satanically inspired to threaten him because the devil knew that everything that God did on the mountain could be erased if the prophet or if the papa or if the mama runs. Everything God's done in your family, if you're fearful, it contradicts all that we teach and all that we preach and all that we sing because fear is nothing more than an accusation that says you are not who you say you are and I cannot trust you. Oh, I hit something in, didn't I? Y'all are so quiet this morning. If y'all if y'all will talk a little bit this morning, I'll preach a fit up in this place. I've got it in me this morning. Thank you, Terry. This Terry on the front row, that'll help me. He was afraid because he was threatened. Have you ever been threatened with a serious, legitimate threat? Okay. So it's not the threat, it's how you react to it that determines your tomorrow. Number two, he allowed fear to take hold of his mind. He allowed fear to take hold. Fear is like a bird flying over your head. You can't stop it from flying, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Fear took hold of him. Notice that he was bold as a lion before, but now he's fearful of the threats of a queen. Fear has a pattern. It sometimes creeps in, but most often in my life, it comes in like a flood. The first thing fear does to your carnal nature is cause a fight or flight response. Same thing in the natural as it is in the spiritual. You come up behind me, it's on. Adrenaline courses through your body. You either go into Kung Fu or where are you? Gone, you know, running. The adrenaline courses through your body, fight or flight. Well, in the spiritual realm, when fear comes onto you, like a flood out of nowhere, it's fight or flight, but instead of fight by itself, put faith with it. When fear comes on you, I'm not running from you. It's on. I'm going to stand. If you can take me out, take me out. But I'm not going to punk out and act like God's not who he said he is. You may cry while you fight. You may tremble while you fight. You may not have all the answers while you fight, but running. Any, can I talk to the fellas just a minute? You know, in grammar school, middle school, 
we all wanted to be tough, but we all weren't tough. And when someone, you know, in fourth grade, fifth grade tells me they're going to kick my butt at recess or after school, I'm like, no, let's don't wait the whole day. <laughs> Did anybody else beside me? I'm not going to wait and worry about it all day. Just jump over the desk and grab them. If they whip you, they whip you. And taking a whipping while you're wailing your arms, guys, you know how you fought in middle school, wailing your arms like a windmill. You ain't hitting nothing. <laughs> so you're wailing and he's pum, pum, pum. And then the fourth one knocks you out and then he jumps on you and all the friends are screaming. They just say, well, you got your rear end handed to you. He just tore you up. But if you run, you might as well hang a sign up around your neck saying, kick my butt at recess the next day. Because if you run, it said more about you. If I fought, fought and lost, that means you're stronger than me or you have greater skills than me. But if I run from you, it means you have power over me tomorrow. If you whip me, you had power over me today. If I run from you, you have power over me tomorrow. What are you running from? What are you running from? Fight or flight? Christians don't run. We stand. We stand. We stand. We don't always win the fight, but we stand. We don't always get the best of him in every 24-hour period, but we stand. The second thing fear does is it takes control. It becomes the dictator, the ultimate authority telling you what you are to feel and how you are supposed to act. The third thing fear does is it paralyzes you. So you can't do what you have to do, can't do what you used to do, can't do what you need to do, and can't do what you want to do. Fear paralyzes you. Well, I can't do that. I might not... I might fail or I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I can't do that. And there are limitations to us, but assessing your limitations and not doing something is different than not doing it because you're afraid. There are people in this room, God's anointing is on your life and you can sing, but you don't worship because you're afraid that somebody might hear you and somebody might have an opinion about you. You would never worship or play on the, on the worship team because you might hit a wrong note and you're afraid of people. So you just... Stay where you are. Fear paralyzes you. It torments you. A runaway mind fueled by runaway emotions becomes a landslide of the soul. Fear hath torment. I told you about them whippings I took in, in middle school. I won a couple of them. I didn't win most of them. The whipping was never as bad as wait until after school. That thing you're worried about, the fear is worse than the thing every time because the fear can go on for years and years. The final thing fear does is it consumes you. Like a swarm of locusts, it eats away at your faith, your hope, your confidence, your perspective, and your capacity of joy. Fear is like a swarm of locusts in your life, eating away all the beauty in your home, in your marriage. It's hard to be healthy with someone 
that's fearful. It's hard to laugh with someone that's fearful. It's hard to plan something in the future with someone that's afraid of tomorrow. Picture it in your mind, a swarm of locusts eating everything beautiful and green in your life because you're afraid. Afraid to write something because somebody might misinterpret it. Afraid to say something because somebody not like you. Afraid to try something because someone might think that you think you're great. Afraid, 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 afraid. It keeps you from doing what you need to, keeps you from doing what you're called to, and it keeps you from doing what you want to do. When I was in high school, when we played athletics, we wore shorts. Not shorts like today, shorts, you hear me? <laughs> Short. Fellas, y'all remember the dolphin shorts? Had me some dolphins, members only. <laughs> some of y'all still wearing members only. You the last member in the members only. There ain't nobody else wearing it. <laughs> members only. And I put them on Facebook when I played uh, intramural ball. We had the white socks up to here. And everybody just laughed. Oh, look at those socks. And did you not know they, I turned on the TV the other day and they're wearing them? Yeah, they are. And they're cool now. That's not in no more. Well, it was in last week. You don't wear your hat that way. You cup your hat. And then no sooner you cup your hat, they go, we don't cup our hat no more. We wear it flat billed. You don't wear it to the side no more. You wear it to the back. Like, will y'all make up your mind what we're supposed to do? I've determined that I like stuff if I like it. If it's navy blue, I like it. Now, tags in the back of the collar can mean that something's made better, but I'm getting to something here. Some of you dress not based on what you like, but on what other people like. Oh, you do. You're so scared. And in high school, it's so horrible. We dress so that they'll like us, and no sooner than we get it all down, they change what's cool. I love it when I see someone in middle school and high school. It's not like they're trying to be different, but they're different. And they've already broke free at 15 and 16 that says, if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I will not let you have power over me. So I pick out my clothes based on what you like. I may not look good in what you like. You're, you're like a, you're big as a car antenna. I don't think I can wear that. You whistle when you walk. <laughs> I'll go one further. Your striped pajamas got one stripe. That's a, that's a problem. Now, if we can see it in the simple things like this, how much life is robbed from that little girl going to school so afraid that she won't be cool and you don't think it affects you as an adult? You're listening to music you don't even like. You are listening to music you don't like, watching shows you don't like so you can talk to people at your work and have something in commonality because you're afraid of being not accepted. And God wants to free you from the fear of people. Now with that freedom comes taste. And if you like ugly stuff, people are gonna tell you it's ugly. But if you're cool with it, I'm good at being me. Let me get on. I got on a little funny spell. Hold on. <laughs> I just, listen, I thank the Lord I've, I've crossed over that. I, 
I know I'm not all that in a bucket of chicken, but I'm me. And I'm thankful to the Lord that he freed me. I used to go home after preaching and sit in my car with my head on my steering wheel and cry like a child because someone made a comment about a sermon. I was tormented by their threats and their opinions. And Jesus Christ has come to save, not only save, but free us. And when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So whether it's your threat, your threat, your approval, all, all of that stuff, I've learned that if I fear God fully, I don't have to fear you at all. Now, does it affect us when they don't like us? Yeah. Somebody walks by me. That's an ugly tie. Thank you. I don't like it, but I'm not going to follow them. What kind of tie do you think I should wear? Which one would you wear? And then your flesh wants to say something like, you need a treadmill. But you don't say it. You don't say it. Because we're Christians. We just think it. We don't say it. Do y'all, are y'all, do y'all sass back in your own mind sometimes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not every baby's a pretty baby. I just thought I'd tell you that. Don't say nothing about my baby. I'll go off on you. <laughs> say, your baby look like a Volkswagen with the doors open. With the ears open just right there. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay, back to my scripture. Back to my scripture. I just feel liberty. That's all. I'm feeling good. We give in to fear when outward voices are louder than inward ones. When your voice is louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid. And some of us fall captive to fear because we're not on a talking relationship with God and their voices is louder, their voices are clearer, and their voice is more consistent. But when you got God whispering in your ear, it's louder than the outward voices. You won't give in to fear. We give in to fear when we lose sight of God, his nearness, his power, his faithfulness and his promises. How could Elijah be afraid? He just saw fire come down from heaven after a one sentence prayer. Why would God, why would God include that? Because he wants you to know that how you were yesterday is no promise that you'll be that way today. And we need to walk closely with the Lord because strong people become weak and joyful people can become bitter. And you've got to guard your heart. You've got to make sure your heart is correct. And it can happen to the best of us. Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I am with you. I am. I am. The I am is with you. I've called you by my name and you are mine. When, not if. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And when you walk through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither shall the smell of smoke kindle upon you. Elijah was afraid and fled because he let fear take hold of his mind. Fear can be like swarming gnats in South Georgia. And one swat... They don't go, oh, he's not interested in us being around. We'll talk to you later. I used to travel on the evangelistic field and I would preach in South Georgia. And these people are used to the gnats. 
they'd be just all up on the nose and in the ears and on the lip. And they just, they don't do nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. What they did was they just gave in to it. I think I would rather spend my time swatting than just be accustomed to the feeling of a migration of gnats on your upper lip and just, y'all follow me. I'm giving you visuals so you won't forget this. Fear is like that. And there are days where I swat at it all day long. And don't beat up on yourself because you're swatting. Thank the Lord that you're in your right mind and you won't settle for a migration of fear in your life. You get it? Elijah was afraid because he took upon himself the responsibility of personal preservation. This is critical. He took upon himself the responsibility of personal preservation. He fled for his life. He fled. I've got to do something to preserve me. It is God who takes upon himself the responsibility for my salvation. God takes the responsibility for my righteousness. God takes the responsibility for my transformation. God takes the responsibility for my provision, my guidance, my protection, and my preservation. If you were to tell me what your greatest fears are, I can just about guarantee you they are tied to self-preservation. I asked two weeks ago on Facebook, tell me what's your greatest fear. And some people answered what they worry about, but others uh, answered along this context. And then some wrote me private messages and said, oh, that I'd lose my babies. Okay? Your babies. I'm not making light of you. I've got my own list. We're in the soup together. We're trying to make sense of this. I'm afraid. I live in fear that my spouse will leave me. Your spouse. I'm afraid that my husband will die and leave us by ourselves. Your husband. I'm afraid that I won't finish my race uh, with all that God's called me to do. Your race. Now, there's an element of truth to that. It is your race. There are your choices. It is your marriage. But you are not designed to carry the weight of self-preservation. I cannot keep me alive. I can do all I can to keep myself healthy, but I cannot keep myself healthy. I cannot make my wife love me. I cannot keep my children secure. I cannot preserve the things that are most precious to me. And don't you misquote me. I can care with every fiber of my soul, but I am not designed to carry the weight of self-preservation. And if you live in that fear, it will torture and torment and limit you all the days of your life. All the days of your life. So what do you do? I try to love my wife every day. So in case anything ever happens, she knows. I hold my children every day so they know we are called to live by faith. Not live by faith. Live while you have today. Not afraid of tomorrow. Tomorrow's coming whether we're afraid or not. Be free. God wants you to be free and live your life freely. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your career. But don't, oh, if you just did this one thing, I'm telling you, your life would change if you took the responsibility of preservation and gave it to God. Elijah said, if I don't do something, if I don't do something, I'm going to die, so I'm going to run. 
Now, let me give you this, this disclaimer. There's a difference between common sense running and fear running. Your husband's hitting you with frying pans and with bats. Lord, do you want me to stay? You ain't got to pray about that. Get out. Get out. Kroger's is on fire. Lord, is there someone I'm supposed to witness to today? Guide me by your spirit. I'm jumping over you and the cashier. I'm getting out. God's given us an awareness of fear for safety. Like to have fear to motivate us. We're not talking about that. We're talking about threats of the enemy. I don't have to run to the wilderness. I don't have to run to Egypt. I don't have to run to the world. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. My very present help in times of trouble. I'm not running from nothing. Situations may cause me to run to someone. And there's a difference between Elijah fleeing for his life and Elijah fleeing unto God. You follow me? He was going to preserve himself. He chose the path. He chose the direction and he took off running. Oh, I'm going somewhere. A child of good parents worries not about the things unseen. They just know that it's going to be taken care of. This is one of the parts I want to do in my middle years, especially when the devil comes in and says, I'm going to take your little girls. I want to live with such a peace, like a child doesn't come in. Uh, you know, you can imagine, and if your babies come home and they're crying, you know, from school when they were younger, you know, 10, 11 years old, what's wrong? I just don't know if there's going to be food today. What? There's always food. It's the same thing. I think the childlike faith of saying, I know that stuff can happen, but my father is such a provider that I'm just going to keep checking the cabinets and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to go eat when I want to go eat. You see that childlike faith says, and we are adults, we've seen stuff happen. We've seen spouses walk out. We've seen children get cancer too. We've seen these things. We're not putting our head in the sand. We're saying that if I have to go through that, then God will take me through that. I'm just not going to live in the fear of that happening. Those are two different things. Amen. Two totally different things. And when you walk through it, God will give you the grace to walk through it. But until then, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is the king and I live in his kingdom. He's my father and I live in his house. He's my God and I'm the one that looks to him for the gift of life and the sustaining of the same. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and he will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. When God granted us our two little girls, he did not promise me that nothing would happen to them. No promises that they're getting out of this without tragedy or loss or limitation or sickness or weakness or that first person that bullies them and I go pay them a visit with my ski mask. He didn't promise me none of that wouldn't happen. He just gave me two precious little girls. See, I'm working out my faith in front of you. I'm working out my salvation in front of you. I've prepared with life insurance. I've prepared with setting money aside and resources. We've prepared for their education, whether it be homeschooling or private school. We're doing all we can. Having said that, we work 
as if it's up to us, but we live as if it's up to God. And I will not live in fear of something happening to my babies because something will happen to my babies. And I'm not trying to maneuver and sculpt a life where nothing ever happens. I'm going to live a life that said the God that gave them to me will keep them. That's faith. And that's your faith. And I know you have this. Elijah took upon himself the responsibility of self-preservation. And if you want to have an emotional, relational, and spiritual meltdown, try to preserve you and the things that are precious to you. It will destroy you. Go to God, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. And I think of the shoulders of the almighty God. On my shoulders, it bows me over. On his shoulders, it's like a little handkerchief up there. He cares for you. Number four, Elijah was afraid because he alienated himself from people of like precious faith. When he ran, it says he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. It wasn't that he just needed some time, but he decided to do it alone. Don't lose sight of the fact that the one that he left in Beersheba was his closest relationship. He alienated himself from good counsel, from encouragement, from godly perspective and accountability. I want to say it again. He alienated himself from good counsel, encouragement, godly perspective and accountability. Fearful people separate themselves from the encouragement and faithful support that they need. And if you alienate yourself during times of weakness, it's foolish. It's foolish. It's hardly a, a sermon goes by, I don't allude to it. And it's, I want you to know my heart on this. It's not because I live there. I just learned so many lessons there. And I, 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 I have to impart it to you. During the dark years, one of the best things I ever did was stayed here. I have people that told me all during it and all after it said, how did you do it? Well, first of all, God graces you for every situation, whether you see it or not. But another part of me is I've done this a long time and I've learned. How many of you are learning as you go along? I've learned that that alienation breeds self-sympathy, which delves into this, it's me, ain't nobody else, I'm by myself, and I collapse. One of the greatest things I did was I stayed here, I stayed in the race, and I kept working. And there were people that greeted me in the foyer praying for you. People write me on email praying for you, love you, I believe for you, pastor, I'm believing in you. And fear, if the devil can ever get you by yourself, you, you digress so much faster. And other people say, oh, no, that's not the way it is. John, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. A couple Wednesday nights ago, I told this story, and I'll just quickly tell it to you. At one of the lowest points, I remember asking someone that was on staff that's very dear to me. And I'm, like yesterday, I remember it as vivid as I'm looking at you with my hands shaking feeling like I was about to have a nervous breakdown. I couldn't shake it. I've been that way for days. I said, do you really think I'm going to make it? She said, absolutely. And just that release that was found in someone else, when you can't trust your own feelers, someone else goes, you're good. God's got you. It's just horrible, but you're going to be good. Just notice the pattern. 
as Elijah ran, he separated himself. You're able to do worse by yourself than you are in a crowd of righteous believers. Don't run. And don't separate yourself from those closest to you. He left his ministry. He left his responsibilities and callings without being released. He came a day's journey into the wilderness and sat down under a juniper tree. And don't be surprised. A juniper tree is often found at the end of your running. And it's a breeding ground for hopelessness and despondency. Whenever you run from what you're afraid of, you'll find a convenient juniper tree for you to sit down and die. So words got out that Elijah's run. Words got out that he was afraid of Jezebel. All the people that saw the fire fall and all the prophets are gone. Where's Elijah? He's gone. And now the devil's trying to orchestrate a story where Elijah sat down by himself and died. Don't you die too soon. Don't you quit now. And don't think for a minute that that juniper tree you found is no coincidence. Just like when Jonah fled the Lord, there was a boat waiting at Tarsus. There's always a boat waiting for you when you're running away from God's will. There's always a juniper tree waiting for you when you're despondent. It's okay to sit down under a juniper tree to catch your breath, but not to sit down and die. Satan planted that tree. He had some demon-inspired man to plant that tree for that man. Number five, Elijah was afraid because he failed to remember God's past blessings and power. What about the brook Cherith? When there was a great drought and people were watching their livestock and their children die from not having water and there was water running by his feet every day. He washed his hands and washed his head and drank till he was satisfied. What about the ravens feeding him there? Have you ever thought of that miracle? Ravens, from which we get the word ravenous. Birds that would just consume without pausing. Taking fresh meat and bringing it to Elijah and dropping it in front of him. Do you remember the times when God supernaturally brought things your way that could not be explained any other way, but God did it? Elijah had water when no one had water. Elijah had meat when no one had meat. And ravens, ravenous, were bringing it to him. What about the widow at Zarephath that sustained him through the never-ending meal barrel? Listen to me this morning. When you forget where God has brought you from, you are susceptible to be taken anywhere. When you forget where God has brought you from, you are susceptible to go anywhere. Deception begins at the place where you forget who God has been to you up to this point. And one of the things, if the devil knew what he was doing, he wouldn't have done this. You remember when the Bible says, had the devil knew he was crucifying the Lord of glory and what was going to take place, he wouldn't have done it. Some of you have went through so much, so long, and at such a level, if the devil knew what was going to happen in this, he wouldn't have done it. Because when you come out on the other end, you're untouchable unmovable. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you the things I've experienced so far have burned up much of my capacity to fear. See, he tried to kill you, but what he's made is he's made someone tenacious and he's made someone fearless. You know what fearless people do? Fearless people have power. 
That's why a man with a box cutter can hijack a plane. He don't care if he dies. A box cutter. But the person that afraid of being cut just sits there paralyzed. But then you got a couple of good old boys that jump over three or four seats and clean his clock. They cut me. It's on. You're not wrecking this plane. You follow me. And the devil has held you captive with a box cutter. And God wants to release you in the power of his spirit to live, to live fully, to live purposefully, full of purpose, and to live joyfully. And we make it through the worst of times by remembering how we made it through the worst of times. Oh, I want to tell you, when I, when I've come, what I've come out of has given me capacity and perspective on what I'm in. This is nothing. How many of you can testify that you're at a place now where stuff comes your way and goes, this is nothing. And didn't even realize God was doing it. He was creating fearlessness in you out of the things that you were most afraid of. Fearlessness. One of my anchor verses from my life is this. I am persuaded. I'm not praying about it. I'm not thinking about it. The jury's not out. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. There's no height, no depth, no creature that's ever been created. Nothing can separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I'm securing it. Will you be tested? Oh, absolutely. Will you have to revert back and think through? Absolutely. But this phrase, if you can make this part of your psyche, your soul, that's automatic for you, it has great power. The God that brought me out of that is the God that'll take me through this. And had Elijah remembered the brook, the ravens, the widow, the miraculous meal, he would not have been in. And the God that rained fire from heaven, what are you forgetting that's causing you to fear today? What would, what would happen in your life if you spent the next six days before worship next week and just wrote out how he came through for you? Write it out, what he did, how he did it, when he did it, when they counted you out, when you made it through, when he answered the prayer. There's a Bible that sits up in my office of my dad and if you turn to the back of it, written all through the concordance are hundreds, hundreds of numbered prayers. God, how are you going to do it? Come through for me. The Lord prevailed all through it. He journaled it and left it for me that no matter how bad it gets, your God, whom you serve, is able. And the history of what he brings us out of. The history of what he brought you out of is the promise of what you're going through right now. Callie's going to bring you through, period, period. He's going to bring us through. Almost done. Elijah was afraid because he was not careful with the words of his mouth. He was not careful with the words of his mouth. In times of great crisis, loss, Opposition or testing. Be slow to speak. Matthew 12 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. If our musician would come, please. Elijah's prayer revealed the true condition of his heart. 
He spoke of giving up. He said, it's enough. That's enough. He spoke of dying. Take away my life. Oh, time out. We've done this. All of you. It's just, it's good to see other people's foolishness because it's kind of like a diluted version of our own foolishness. So we don't feel as bad. Just kill me. Just kill me. I just want to die. No, you didn't. And no, you don't. If you want to die, you just stay there and let her kill you. Think about it. Kill me. Well, why didn't you just stay there? I didn't want her to have the joy of doing it. Oh, come on. He spoke of giving up. He spoke of dying. He spoke in comparisons. Hey, let me give you this disclaimer too. He wasn't speaking out of sorrow. I know what Job felt like when he said, kill me. I don't want to live. Sorrow and praying like this and speaking like this is different than fear talking. So don't get those two confused. Sorrow will take you to the end of yourself and back and you'll meet God there. But that's not what, this wasn't sorrow. This was fear. He spoke of comparisons. He said, I'm no better than my father. So take my life. It's enough. I'm not worth it. And I'm no better than my father's. Just kill me. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 that death and life are found in the power of the tongue. What are you saying today that's killing you? What are you praying today that's cursing you? What are you saying that's killing you? And what are you praying that's cursing you? God's remedy for Elijah was to stop running and start resting. Rest until you go to sleep and sleep until God wakes you. Stop running. Just rest. However long it takes you to go to sleep, spiritually, and I don't mean in a negative way, but to gather yourself, go to sleep and stay there till God wakes you. And whatever God provides for you to eat, eat it. His word, his spirit, drink of his spirit, eat his word. Get stocked back up on what you need and then be open to God's touch. The angel touched him. There are places where knowledge won't take you. You have to have God's touch. And this angel touched him as an ambassador of the Lord. And he repeated this cycle until his strength returned and he went in that strength for 40 days. The man that could not stand to live another day slept, God woke him, God touched him and God fed him. He repeated that cycle till it took. And he got up in the strength of that meal that God gave him, not a meal, the meal. And went 150 miles to the place where Moses got the law of God. Strong. He's not running from something now. He's running to something now. And God met with him. And God provided fire, but God wasn't in the fire. So here's this man. Some commentators say he was in the place where Moses stood in the rock. We don't know, but the fire come by him, but God wasn't there. And an earthquake come and God wasn't there. Wind blew chunks off the mountain and God wasn't there. And then he began to whisper to Elijah. What are you doing here? And when he heard the still small voice, the Bible said he hid his face in his mantle. What are you doing here? I was afraid. 
You left your purpose because you're afraid. You left my glory because you're afraid. You left the people that are watching you because you were afraid. What are you, why are you here? Why are you at that place? What are you afraid of? He said, I'm the only one left. Oh, Elijah, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee to Baal. You're so afraid. Your perspective is so gone that you are 7,000% wrong. And some of us have lived afraid so long. This word is going to give you heaven's perspective and you're going to see I am 7,000% wrong in my perception of what's going on around me. And it's going to be like a bubble bursting. And he said, tell you what do, Elijah. Go back the way you came. Anoint this one. And he's going to do the work of the Lord. And who doesn't die at his hand? Anoint the next one. And he's going to do the work of the Lord. And then anoint Elisha. And he's going to do twice as much as you've done. Let's go. Get. So Elisha goes back. Elijah goes back. I'm sorry. Trains up Elisha. And Elisha did twice the miracles that Elijah did. There's so many ways I conclude this, but can I just talk to you for just a moment and then let you go home? God loved Elijah too much to let him go out like that. Go back to your home. Go back to your children. Go back to your job. Go back to your responsibilities. Go back to your calling and know that I, the Lord God, have everything under control and I'm going to have my way in the earth. Fear not. That's 150 miles to where he was asleep. And then however long it was to go back. It's a long walk back. Oh, but it's worth it. My favorite part of this story is what was not said. There's no record of Elijah ever running no more. And some of you today, you're not the drug addict that's addicted to Coke or crack. You're not the alcoholic that's addicted. You're not the person bound with lust addicted to pornography, but you're addicted to fear and you're just as bound as they ever were and you don't live a day without getting your fix. And Jesus wants to deliver you from fear. It's his will. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar this morning because this is a broad subject and you're going to have to work out some of these details in his presence. But if you say, Pastor John, I'm a fearful person. Now, before you respond, just because you experience fear does not mean you're a fearful person. But you say, no, I'm a fearful person. And I repent of my fear. Just that. I want you to slip your hand up and just hold it. Just hold it. Just hold it up. I repent. Just hold it there. Just hold it. My God is not the author of fear.
and perfect love casteth out all fear. And I am going to hang the sign over my soul. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Would you stand with us this morning? Would you turn this on for me, Gary? Now, for some of you, when you flesh this out, the devil's going to come at you with the same threat, the same feeling, the same surge. And when you react differently, don't think he's just going to walk away. You know what he's going to do? He's going to turn it up a notch. It'll be worse. It'll get tightened. He'll bring in some more threat. Having done all, you stand. God won't leave you in that situation. He's going to flex. He's going to flex and show you. He's going to show you. Funny thing about those boys in middle school, I didn't tell you this part. I got whipped several times. But my older brother one time paid one of them a visit. Jim Bob paid one of them a visit. Knocked on his door and said, is your name Greg? He said, yeah. Did you whip my little brother? He said, yeah. Before he could even finish the sentence, one hand he grabbed this little boy by the shirt, threw him in his yard, and whipped him in his own yard. Nobody beats my brother but me. I got on the school bus the next day. People were giving me their peanut butter sandwiches. They were giving me drinks. I said that to tell you this. Your elder brother Jesus, at the mention of his name, demons tremble at his name. At his name. Don't be scared of me because of who I am. You best be scared of me because of whose I am. You best be. Glory. Y'all feel good? You feel better? Amen. Terry, would you come and dismiss us this morning? Y'all give my brother a hand as he comes, would you? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, God, that we serve a God that declares to us through his word, fear not, for I am with you wherever you go. And Lord, we just thank you for this message. I pray, God, that it lands on fertile ground of our heart. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you. Cheers.